Dimitra, centrally located in Kentucky, provides proven gene editing technologies, cast clover nuclease, and piggyback transposase, which are used for wide applications in bioprocessing, synthetic biology, and agriculture. Dimitra has built extensive gene editing know-how, complementing its internally developed as well as globally sourced portfolio of intellectual property, which it transfers to its partners through simple commercial licenses with freedom to operate. This podcast will be moderated by Jack Crawford, CEO of Dimitra. Please enjoy. Hello, I'm Jack Crawford. Welcome to our GenCast. Humans have been engineering crops since the beginning of civilization, creating huge genetic transformations and modifications through breeding. For example, broccoli, cauliflower, and other vegetables are all derived from wild mustard plants. Food security, improving access to proper nutrition and protein is essential for stable and flourishing economies and cultures. Transgenesis, has offered a solution for several decades. However, GMOs contain gene sequences from other organisms, which give it the desired trait, but require extensive biosafety and regulatory studies, costing tens of millions to commercialize. Gene edited crops are different from GMOs as the native genome is edited, creating desired traits such as stress resistance. Unlike GMOs, They do not contain genetic sequences from outside sources. The resulting crop poses no risk and often can't be differentiated from a traditionally bred version. The advantages of adding targeted gene editing to traditional breeding abound, however, including speed and maintenance of the background desired traits. With me to discuss this topic are two co-authors of a recent article in the Plant Biotechnology Journal entitled a new and novel high-fidelity genome editing tool for banana using Cas clover. Dr. Lena Tripathi is the director of the Eastern Africa Hub of International Institute of Tropical Agriculture, or IITA, based in Kenya. She obtained her PhD in plant molecular biology at the University of Lucknow in India. A co-author of dozens of publications on breeding and gene editing in staple food crops, she focuses on linking cutting edge science to solving food production issues. Welcome, Lena. Thanks, Jack. David Norman is the senior scientist of plant systems at Demetra. With over 20 years of research experience in agriculture and industrial gene editing, David led the efforts to establish gene editing of cast clover in plants, and supports collaborators and licensees. Prior to joining Demetra, David was at United Smokeless Tobacco, now Altria, and then Evolva, a synthetic biotech company. Welcome, David. Thank you, Jack. Lena, the first question is for you. You have published impressive research on stable foods such as banana, plantain, and cassava. Can you give us the top challenges to, to sustaining food production and the goals of your research in the IITA. Thanks, Jack, for the for the question. And you know, IITA is uh, based in in Africa. Our headquarter is in Nigeria, and we are actually uh, working in more than twenty two countries in Africa. 
And you know that the global challenges for every one of us is how to feed the growing population. And when it comes to Africa, actually, this challenge is even higher because the population is growing very fast. But also there is issues with the climate change, so which is not just a talk, it's a reality. We already started seeing the negative impact of climate change in various parts of Africa because the agriculture is the rain fed. So, you know, the climate change has even much more severe impact. For example, uh, in Kenya, where I am based, there is so much uncertainty in the rainfall, which is really affecting the smallholder farmers. So at IATA, we try to actually develop the solutions for the smallholder farmers for the problems they are facing. And we work for the staple food crops like banana, uh, cassava, yam, and also corn. In these crops, there are a lot of issues in the production. There, uh, there is a huge yield gap. And at IATA, the researchers are like really busy in, in closing that yield gap by applying all the tools available in our toolbox. And that's when we, we use the conventional tools like the conventional breeding as well as the modern biotechnological tools like gene editing and also the other advanced tools. And there are these crops has like a lot of issues with the diseases and pests. And particularly if I give example of banana, there are a lot of diseases which are affecting the banana production. Like there are bacterial diseases, there are viruses like banana bunchy top virus, banana streak virus, there are fungus like a fusarium wilt, black cigatoka, and then also there are pests like nematodes and weevils. The problem is not that these diseases are so many pests and pathogens are affecting the crop, but the problem is, you know, many times these pests and pathogens coexist. So that means the farmer is facing the challenges with several diseases and pests in his field. And that's where the major challenge with these crops are. And we are trying to actually, for banana, we are trying to develop the varieties with a broad spectrum resistance to these diseases and pests so that uh, the same variety can provide resistance to several diseases and pests. So this is, I will say, is the major, major challenge right now, which we are trying to solve. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. Thank you for that. So when you talk about this broad spectrum resistance, do you have, is it one gene or do you have multiple genes or is, are the gene targets known? Is gene editing going to be the main tool or is it a combination of everything? I'll say that, you know, one tool might not solve all the problem. We might have to actually use different tools. And the way we work at IATA, we, we actually look at these problems in a more holistic ways. So, you know, we start with the germplasm selection. So, you know, we start seeing like, okay, which germplasm has natural resistance to which pest and pathogen. And, and then we have the conventional breeding program, and then we have the biotechnological tools. So if I say like gene editing is not only just one knockout, which will work. So right now, what the way we are doing it is like we first, we pick the germplasm, which has resistance to at least few of those diseases and pests. And we build on the resistance to the additional pest pathogens 
in that germplasm. So we are trying to get the proof of concept for the different using the gene editing. I have a project which is we are developing resistance to the banana streak virus. And in that case, actually, we are targeting the viral genome because in this, this virus has tendency to integrate into the banana genome. So we are trying to actually inactivate the, uh, the integrated viral sequence so that it doesn't activate into the infectious form. Then when we work on the bacterial disease, we have some susceptibility genes which we are targeting. And then the similar way, we have the another project where we are working on fusarium wilt and we are also targeting the another susceptibility genes. It's not sometimes it's possible, may, may not be possible that, you know, uh, knocking out one susceptibility genes can provide the broad spectrum resistance. So that's why we are testing several susceptibility, knocking out of several susceptibility genes. And then in yep. the end, our target is actually to multiplex this. So mm -hmm. even in the editing, you know, that is a very strong tool even for multiplexing the traits. And that's what we are planning to actually apply in the end. But right now, my lab is focusing on one disease at a time, which we are trying to multiplex in the, in, for, for having the final product. Thank you. So the holistic approach is what I would have expected. And, and thank you for that response. That is also proof of what we've seen in the industry in, all across agriculture is the gene editing is a great tool. CRISPR-Cas9, Cas Clover, they're great tools to knock out these genes, especially with something so targeted like a viral gene um, that's inserted into the genome of a crop. But it's going to be holistic, which is why Demetra also focuses on available access, accessibility to the gene editing technology and intellectual property. So moving on to that, David, in your past work, you, you were involved with less targeted approaches, such as breeding and chemical mutagenesis. Tell us about how that differs from targeted cast clover editing and the advantages of the latter. Good question, Jack. And if you think about what Lena just described about doing all of her strategies for breeding and all of that, I think she can agree that the less targeted approaches like breeding and chemical mutagenesis take a very, very, very long time. They're very slow. They're very tedious. So with breeding, for example, you have to hope that your desired trait actually gets passed on. And then it takes, you know, sometimes generations for that trait to become stable. And then with things like EMS, the mutations are very random and sometimes often lethal. You may have to screen thousands of plants just to find a plant that has your mutation where you want it in your target gene. And it may only be in one allele most likely. And so you still have to do things like go through generations to, to get stability for that modification. Uh, with using targeted approaches like cast clover, you can get editing exactly where you want it. Oftentimes we see it in all alleles and then you only have to screen a few plants and then you find your desired edit. And if all the alleles are edited, then stability is immediate. So you don't have to go through all the generations to actually get stability with your modification. Yes, absolutely. So that's very interesting. So the cast clover technology, the way we've been using it and collaborating is a boost for the efficiency. You got to start with the germplasm, like Lena was saying, and the traits that you've already built in through breeding. And then you can do a targeted approach with cast clover to enhance those traits even further. 
Okay, so moving on, this question is for both of you guys. In the figure one through A through C of the paper, it shows the strategy for targeting banana PDS, which results in an albino phenotype if fully knocked out. David, if you can give an overview of the design and the architecture of the cast clover system, and Lena, if you can comment on the banana A and B genome and how these targets were chosen, that would be great. So, you know, there are a number of gene editing tools available now. Cas9 is probably the most uh, popular one, um, but there are different iterations of that. So Cas Clover differs from all these other gene editing tools by, by a couple of different ways. So number one, it uses a dimeric nuclease, which has to come together to be able to cut the genome. So it's, uh, it's different than just Cas9 that uses a, nuclease, a single nuclease. And also, because it is a dimeric system, we have to use two different guides. So you have two different guides that go through and do your targeting. And in order for the system to work, your guides have to be, you know, a certain space apart and in the correct orientation. And once the, the guides are located with the cast clover system, then the clove 51 or cast clover actually dimerizes and does, does the cutting of the genome. If I can uh, explain further how it works in banana. So, you know, banana basically came from the two different progenitor, Musa acuminata and Musa balbiciana. So Musa acuminata is deployed with AA genome and Musa balbiciana is another deployed with a BB genome. And so most of the cultivated varieties of bananas are actually triploid. So they are either triple A's or they can be AAB or ABB. So, so basically in the triploids, if we say banana, like, you know, the dessert bananas, which you all know as like you eat Cavendish, like dessert bananas is all triple A's. But when we come to the plantains, which are like a roasted type of bananas, they are AAB. So it has two different types of genome, A genome and the B genome. So when we have to design the guide, we need to make sure that our guides aligns very well, both A and the B genome, and there are no SNPs in them. Because if there is any SNP, most of the time my experience is, and then if the particularly the SNP falls between like the, you know, first uh, one to 16 uh, base pair of, of the guide RNA, then those guides doesn't work very well. So that's why in order to like design the guide RNA, we always sequence our targets to make sure that, you know, we have no SNPs in the guides. And we uh, actually, uh, the way we start is like, you know, banana reference genomes are available for both for the A genome and the B genome. And then we first align those A and B and we actually look for the conserved sequences. And these are the conserved sequences from where we design our guide. But to the double check, we actually sequence that target from our variety of our interest. And, and then we make sure that there are no slip snips and then we move on with those guides. In this case, the two guide when we use the cast clover system. Thanks, Jack. Very good, very good. So that just exemplifies the importance of a technology to be able to gene edit multiple copies of a gene. We've seen tetraploid and more and uh, the banana here is, is usually triploid, it sounds like. So uh, Lena, in figure... 1D, you show cast clover introduction into banana by embryonic cell suspension. The resulting nine regenerated events have a full albino phenotype. In a previous study you did using the same target with Cas9, 
although there were more total events generated, these were variegated and mosaic patterns. Can you comment on the differences and if you believe it has to do with the larger deletions you see in figure 1E? Thanks, Jack. Basically, you know, when we use the Cas9, as I explained that, you know, the bananas we have used in these studies were all triploids. Actually, majority of the cultivated bananas are triploid, only there are few tetraploid hybrids which are also available there. So in order to get the complete albino plant, you have to knock out all the three alleles of the of the gene. With the Cas9 also, we got like, you know, majority of, of our plants were complete albino, but some of the plants were variegated. And these are basically, I can see several reasons behind that. One is that they are chimeric because we use the plasmid-based delivery of the CRISPR-Cas reagents. And in that case, the plasmid, like, you know, the tDNA is integrated into the banana genome. And so that means, you know, the mutation can happen at various time through the regeneration. And that can give you some variegation. That can be one way of explanation of these variegated. The second one is maybe not all th three alleles are knockout. And that's the another reason. But when in, uh, to our surprise, when we used the cast clover system, we didn't see any variegated. We repeated the experiments few times and we didn't see any variegated. The number of events generated, as you mentioned, were fewer, but all of them had the complete albino phenotype. And I think the reason behind that is because in this system, you use two guides. So, you know, when we use two guides, then the chances of getting a, a mutation is only when when the both guides that dimer is formed then only cleavage happen and and that's when you see the see the mutation so you know in this case uh, getting the chimeric phenotype becomes minimal and i also see that the, also the off type uh, off target mutations are also minimal using this technology I means right now i can only explain that much about that because we haven't gone uh, much detailed study about this at moment. So do you think your variegation from Cas9 might have also come from the kind of deletion that Cas9 makes? So maybe even though you were editing certain copies of the allele, that the, the deletion was such that the, the gene stayed in frame, so the ORF wasn't disrupted, so you still got expression with Cas9? I will not agree with that because most of our mutation, actually, we saw the frame shift. Okay. Because, you know, depending upon, you know, if you use the single guide, most it's, it's a small indels. Mm -hmm. And those those are either a single base pair replacement or just single base pair addition or the deletion of the few base pairs. Majority of time we saw the deletion is like between one to four bases like that. Mm -hmm. And and we they end up into the frame shift mutation. In frame mutation was very, 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 rare chances. We didn't see much of those ones. Okay. Okay. Moving on to multiplexing. Lena, the publication mentions that multiplexing is very beneficial. Can you give us an overview of why that's so important? So I think, as I said in the starting, our idea is to get in, in the end a banana cultivar with a broad spectrum resistance and only like uh, creating 
mutation in one gene making it non-functional might not help. We have to actually target more than one gene. And that's why the multiplexing is important. That's like, you know, for the multiplexing of the traits, you know, like a different uh, resistance against different pathogens or pests. But sometimes for the durability of the same trait, we can also mul multiplex. So like, for example, if we know that the, there are two or three susceptibility genes which can provide resistance and we can also uh, knock out three of them and uh, using the multiplexing different guides and uh, multiplexing of them and so that that's the i feel like you know this uh, this tool of the gene editing which i feel is a is a great power in them is of the multiplexing of of those ones instead of going one after another the transformation you know we can actually do it in one go using using one time transformation by multiplexing the guide rnas thank you david building off of that can you tell us more about the efficiency of multiplexing that your group's done at Demetra with cast clover in tobacco? Yes. So we've been working on optimizing this technology for several years now, working with Lena for a couple of years. Multiplexing has become a big thing that we've been focusing on. And so doing different iterations of our constructs, changing guide pair amounts, promoters, that kind of thing. We've been working primarily in tobacco, which is a tetraploid. And with the technology at its current state, you know, we're seeing gene editing in three to four different genes in a tetraploid. So, you know, somewhere between 12 and 16 alleles for, for the system for gas clover at the moment. That's fantastic. Now, moving on to another big topic in the paper, is IP transfer for in, in respect to gene editing technology. I want to open that up for additional comments, but first I'd like to start from Demetra's view on this for gene editing in particular with CRISPR-based or CRISPR-Cas9 and other gene editing technologies. This is a big and very, very active space in terms of patents and intellectual property and freedom to operate. And not one group owns everything having to do with CRISPR-based gene editing technology. Now, what we see as the two biggest barriers for groups like Lena and other groups around the world to use this breakthrough gene editing technology for real change and real progress is one, licensing restrictions and freedom to operate issues. And then two is the transfer of know-how from the gene editing technology provider to the user. And what we try to do at Demetra is solve both of those problems. Cas Clover is differentiated from CRISPR-Cas9. It's a CRISPR-based system with the guide RNAs, but it uses a completely different nuclease to cut the genome. And we're able to provide those simple and accessible commercial licenses with freedom to operate to our users. And the beauty of that is goes back to something that Lena said is this is a holistic approach in agriculture, but also everywhere else in synthetic biotechnology, in um, mammalian cell gene editing. It's not just about the gene editing technology. And we understand that at Demetra. And so we make our commercial licenses accessible and able to be uh, implemented. The other advantage 
that we have and what we've been trying to solve for our clients is that a lot of the licenses I've even done with other gene editing technologies, all you get is a piece of paper, a license. And then you're told, okay, um, go out and, uh, and figure it out. Well, that's, that's kind of difficult for a new company or a new group to try to try to implement. So what we do is we have our own lab, our own groups that are constantly working out and optimizing our Cas Clover and also piggyback transposase technologies for protocols in plants, in yeast and mammalian cells. And we offer those protocols as part of our technology transfer. So with that, I'd like to open it up with other comments on this. First with Lena, have you run into concerns with commercializing Cas9 edited crops based on the unknown freedom to operate in your hands? Yeah, thanks, Jack. This is a very interesting question, actually. So right now, actually, we are more into the research phase, I will say, because, you know, we are still testing our irritated bananas in the greenhouse condition. We haven't gone to the field yet. But as you mentioned that, you know, the Cas9 technology is not one license is more than one. So, you know, we are still working with it, negotiating and, and getting the freedom to operate for the crops we are working on. And we work for the smallholder farmers in Africa. So, you know, we need more of a humanitarian basis because they will not be able to get any product where they have to give the royalties. We are not working for a big growers, you know, so that's a that's a very big difference the, the CGIR is working with. So at moment, actually, we are negotiating the, the license through the CG1 CGIR office. We haven't have the license yet. So so that's our experience with that. And then, and let me also comment uh, on the, the Cas Clover. And I really appreciate our partnership with with Dimitra, because, you know, as you mentioned, we work very closely and, you know, we went back several discussion, like what needs to be there in the, in, in the, in the construct and how it, how it's going to work in banana. Sometimes it works. Sometimes we go back and say, no, it's not working. And then, you know, you again, modify it and, and send to us. And, and, and actually that's a very, very good system that uh, the way we have, we managed to establish the, the cast Clover system in banana. And we are looking forward for the similar type of approach to get it a couple with a piggyback. Fantastic. David, another differentiating factor between cast Clover and cast nine is the reported advantage in precision eliminating the unintended off-target editing seen with Cas9. Can you describe the work that's been done so far versus Cas9? Yes, so we kind of discussed the architecture of Cas Clover and how it uses two guides and a dimeric nuclease to cut the genome. So the traditional Cas9 is a single guide-based system. So it uses a 20 base pair guide sequence to target the region you want to edit and then, you know, cuts the genome with its nuclease. So if you think about how big plant genomes are specifically, that 20 base pair sequence can actually pop up multiple times anywhere in the genome. So the advantage for Cas Clover, because we use a two guide based system, is that you have to have both guide sequences show up in the genome 
and they have to be within a close proximity of each other. So if you think about having those two 20 base pair sequences randomly pop up in multiple places throughout the genome and be appropriately spaced apart is pretty minimal versus Cas9. And so we have done studies in-house to show off-target effects of Cas9 versus Cas clover. And uh, we've shown that Cas9 has significant off-target possibility and Cas clover has basically very negligible off-target, if any. Okay, thank you. All right, so this last question is for both of you. And I wanna close out the podcast with your thoughts on how this collaboration has worked so far and where you are going from here. Lena's group are experts in plant transformation and know the right targets. While Demetra provides the gene editing technology know-how, is there a chance to make a difference? Okay, so I can go first. <laughs> yeah, I strongly believe that IITA and Demetra together, we can, we can definitely touch the life of millions of farmers in Africa. And they are like really smallholder farmers, as I mentioned before. And banana is the staple food crop in Africa, and it has a lot of diseases and pests. And so if we can together generate the disease-resistant bananas, which can go into the field and then freedom to operate so that the farmers can grow their, their bananas and also reproduce using the suckers and give their friends those suckers, you know, those type of freedom that can really, really going to touch millions of livelihoods um, in Africa. And I feel we have done one step. We know that this technology is working well in banana. Now we have to go to the second step so that, you know, the product can reach in the farmer's hand, which is we have to develop the bananas, which has no foreign gene integration in them, not even the any CRISPR or Cas clover reagent into them. So that's the next step we have to still sort out together. So that, you know, the product is ready and available to the smallholder farmers in Africa. Yeah, and absolutely. Thank you. And Demetra just wanted to mention we are committed to uh, royalty and in many cases or uh, all cases, uh, license fee free access to the cast clover in Africa for smallholder uh, farmers that Lena is mentioning. David, do you have any other comments here? Sure. So I'll just also kind of reiterate what Lena said. So, you know, we've been working with Lena's group for a couple of years now at this point, and, you know, it's always been a pleasure. They do very good work. They're very communicative and, uh, you know, offer lots of tips on and feedback. So that always helps us with optimizing the gene editing technology. If there's a chance to make a difference, I mean, of course, outside of what Lena said with Banana and with, with their group, you know, gene editing in plants is a relatively new area of focus. You know, traditional approaches like breeding and that kind of thing have always been the staple. But with gene editing technologies now, you can expedite modifications in plants for, you know, basically almost any trait you want. So, you know, if you're looking to make a difference, gene editing in plants is going to be the revolution of, of what's to come for, for, you know, all variety of crops. Great. I want to thank you both for uh, your time today and thank you for enjoying our GenCast. Thank you, Jack. Thank, thanks, Jack. Mm -hmm.